morning. Welcome to Faith. Welcome to Faith Christian Fellowship. A question for you. In the past couple days, what, the last week, what got you anxious? What got you stressed? What got you discouraged? What were some of the, the crisis things that were on your heart and on your mind? Friday is my day off, and a, a couple days ago, uh, two things that we addressed. One was um, my car. I needed, I needed to have an oil changed. Got that taken care of. The other one took a little longer. It was uh, weeds in our garden. We had to get our garden. We had to dig it out, get, go get mulch, and get some de-weeding stuff so the weed doesn't come back. You've, some of you have been there, I'm sure. Uh, the, the big issues of my day, right? You know, big, major issues, right? Uh, Tuesday, I went, went down to D.C. My mom um, lives in, in, in the Prince George's County area. And um, she had a dental appointment. I, she's, had, she's had a tooth issue for almost half a year, and, and finally they fit her for dentures a couple weeks ago, but still not right. So I've, I've, I've committed myself to you know, making sure she gets to those appointments. And so um, went there, saw that, but then some other issues popped up. She, uh, there's, a, there's a tree in my mom's front yard, me and my dad planted years ago. I remember planting that tree, and it's now grown, and it, the, the, the branches are in the wires and got to get cut back. And, you know, of course, my mom can't do that. She's 89 years old, you know. She's not jumping on the ladder, so that fell to me to do that since it wasn't raining at that point of the day. But the big issue in her mind wasn't the teeth, it wasn't the tree. It was the fact that two weeks ago, her TV stopped working. And she lives alone, it's her companionship. And, and apparently when she turned it on, she hit the wrong button on the remote and lost her signal and didn't know what to do. I saw that one in about five minutes, but <laughs> I had a feeling from what she told me it was just that she pushed the wrong button or remote and panicked. So for two weeks, she's been without a TV. So we solved that one. I don't want to minimize the issues that my mom has. I mean, she's 89 years old. She, you know, and um, she's sharp as a tack. <laughs> and she still has a driver's license. She drives herself to church and to the store. But dental appointment, that's a little, little more complicated. So uh, I help her with that. But she's very thankful for her life, and, and I'm thankful for her. But as I reflected on, on the issues that I faced on Friday, the issues she faced on Tuesday, uh, um, and maybe the issues that each of us probably face in our world, I, I, I've been pondering a simple phrase that I heard years ago that's become pretty popular, first world problems. First world problems. <laughs> the issues that we face pale in comparison to the basic survival issues of people in some parts of our world. When mom's TV got fixed on Tuesday, she was suddenly alerted to something that she hadn't heard about that broke on Monday night. The Ariana Grande concert in, in, in Manchester ended and very young, excited crowd began to exit and the bomb exploded. Once again, a nation seeking to live at peace in a divided world was assaulted by individuals who have a different worldview, a different sinister demonic agenda. Twenty-two people died, including children and teens. Dozens more were injured. And let us remember that the fear and the anxiety that radical Islamic terrorists seek to create is even more felt by those who would seriously confess to believe in Jesus Christ and to follow him as Lord. For example, Egypt. You've probably heard in Palm Sunday of the, uh, 
attacked two worship services, two, two masses um, in the Coptic church. Forty-six people died and two suicide bombers there. But even again on Friday, the same nation of Egypt, the Coptic church on a bus traveling uh, 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 t- towards uh, a monastery south of Cairo in Egypt, uh, four vehicles pulled up and splattered that bus with bullets, ten uniformed men. And when the damage was done, 28 Coptic Christians died, including, again, children. Dozens more were injured. Now, now many scoff at the idea of, the, of our nation uh, ser- having serious hard persecution at some point. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't scoff at it. I believe that already soft persecution is, 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 is upon us. But, but here is a reality check for all of us. Following Jesus in this society today is still easier than in most parts of the world. And to that, we should probably give thanks on a, on a holiday weekend like Memorial Day. Though, though we may not be experiencing hard persecution yet, we do therefore feel the same struggle and tension of our brothers and sisters. There's a certain kind of stress, a certain kind of discouragement, and even fear that comes along with anyone who, would, who desires to believe in Jesus, to follow hard after Jesus in the midst of an unbelieving culture. And so, so John the Apostle, he's writing to believers, followers of Jesus, like you and like me, people who, like him, are fearful of persecution, easily discouraged, and are hoping they can remain faithful to God in their context. But with that in mind, let's look at the passage. Let's look at, at uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 20, as we continue in our series. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with with, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you've seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. God bless the reading of his word. My title comes from the verse 19. After this, after this, encouragements from an exiled apostle. Now sometimes things seem to come against us 
that bring us discouragement and bring fear and overwhelm us. But in those times, I believe God wants to, to come to us. He comes to us to strengthen us that we might remain faithful. That's what he does. He gives us grace. He gives us strength. He gives us hope in times of need. How does God do that? How does he do that? How does he come to us? I think from the text we can learn something as we sort of put ourselves in the sandals of, of John's uh, uh, audience. We're going to see in Revelation 1, 9 and following how God ministers to John, how he ministers through John to his audience, and ultimately to the entire church through the ages. That includes you, it includes me, as we face situations that are similar, maybe not as intense yet, but similar situations. God brings to anxious people of God three things, a fresh word from his messenger, a fresh vision of his son, and a fresh calling for his people. God comes first, verses 9-11, with a, a fresh word from his, his messenger. I, John, your brother and partner. John, John is a messenger. He's an apostle. He doesn't call himself the apostle. He doesn't call himself the elder. He calls himself a brother and a partner. This is John. This is John, the beloved disciple, who, who, who was with Jesus, one of the sons of thunder. The Fox's Book of Martyrs says this about him. The beloved disciple was the brother to James the Great. The churches of Smyrna, Pergamos, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and Tyra were founded by him. From Ephesus, he was ordered to be sent to Rome, where it is, affirmed, it is affirmed that he was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil. He escaped by miracle without injury. Domitian, who was emperor, afterwards banished him to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book Revelation, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, Patmos is, 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 is an island 40 miles off the coast from where these seven cities are in Asia Minor. It's kind of, kind of what Patmos looks like. It's very, a lot of me believe he lived in a cave in Patmos. It was where political exiles were sent, 40 miles off the coast, a small island. Now, why was he exiled? He was a political exile, but, but, but in essence, he says he, he was the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. The church, the early church refused to bow to Caesar, to the emperors of Rome, to say that they were, they were divine. The, the, the emperors would say, you can believe in your God, but just say that we're God too. No, they couldn't do that. And they paid for that resistance. Emperor Domitian of Rome reigned from 81 to 96 AD. He hated the church. He made life miserable for God's people. And John's, and John's audience are in that context. Specifically, John is writing to the saints in those seven, that's the mission right there, the seven churches of, of Asia Minor. Uh, believers who are in need of a word of assurance and grace from John, their human leader, who's away off in Patmos, being exiled there. Notice what he calls himself. There you see the seven churches. There you see Patmos to the left there. He says, partners in tribulation. Jesus promised tribulation in this world. Remember he said in John, in this world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're going to have tribulation and troubles in this world. It had begun, and it is normal in this age. Partners in the kingdom. The kingdom, the, in, the invasion of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King into this world, which had already begun. And many bowed to his kingship and his authority 
where others had not yet recognized it and were fighting it. And that is still the case. Some see the kingdom. Some refuse to see the kingdom yet. But the kingdom has arrived, but it has not fully arrived yet. King Jesus reigns, but he doesn't reign fully yet. Tribulation, kingdoms, and partners in endurance. John says, just like you, I'm seeking to endure. We're partners in endurance. Those who await the fullness of the kingdom must persevere, must endure, must keep on, must remain faithful as he empowers us to do so. Great verse connected with this is in Acts chapter 14. The Apostle Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas actually, it says when they, uh, Acts 14, 21, 22, they left a city where they preached the gospel. It says, and they came back strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to, one, continue in the faith. That's persevering and endurance. To continue in the faith, don't give up. And saying that through many tribulations, many troubles, many trials, we must enter the kingdom of God. There it is. Let's try it again. Endurance, tribulations. Enter the kingdom. As I said, the, the kingdom is here, but there's more kingdom to come. And so we wait, we endure, we persevere. So, so John tells us in verse 10 that he was in, in the spirit on the Lord's day. He appears to be aware of the fact of, that he has authority as an apostolic writer, and it's the, the, day, it's the Lord's day, and he's... In the spirit, the, the Lord's Day, the day when we worship, the Sunday, the, the first day of the week, where, we, where there's a weekly appointment with, with, with God and his people, but he can't be there because he's in Patmos. But God comes to him with a message. And that message is the book of Revelation, <laughs> the message we have in this book. A message to, we, we gather, God's people gather each week to, to worship, but also to, to remember to be encouraged, to be challenged by, by a messenger of God that God has appointed and anointed. And, and John is an apostle. He, an apostle is a super messenger, a special messenger uh, with, with a message from God. And he has a message for these churches that, that they need to hear that God has for them. And so God, he, he, has, he gives them that message. Now, in our day, it would be very simple. He'd get on his computer and do a Skype connection, Right? But that's not the day in which they live. So he has to send a human, human messengers to each of the churches. God gives it to John. John gives it to the human messengers. The human messengers take it to the congregations, and they get this book of Revelation. Human messengers, human couriers, with a timely word from the apostle. John hears a, 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 a voice like a trumpet, verse 12. Right. And sense a booming voice, and and to the, the seven churches are listed. By the way, in verse uh, verse eleven, they're listed in order in order along the trade routes. There's another map. You can see the clearly the, the trade routes, and, and there's a we'll, as we go through Revelation two and three, we're going to see uh, this order, the order that that uh, these the letter would have been delivered to the churches along that Roman road. By the way, in this sermon series, we're going to we're going to do a deep dive into chapters two and three. We're going to ask ourselves a question. What would Jesus say to us specifically if he were to speak to the church in Baltimore, more specifically the church Faith Christian Fellowship in Baltimore? What would he say? You see, Jesus has a general word for all churches, but a specific word for these churches. What if he had a specific word for us? 
what would he say? You know, as our congregation enters into a transition season, it's a great question for us to ponder, isn't it? Maybe you should take some time in your community groups to look over these chapters and ask the question, what are the identity markers of faith Christian fellowship? For what would Jesus commend us like he commends each of these churches? Where would he rebuke us like he rebukes some of the churches? It's a good discussion. We'll be preaching on, on, on these two chapters, these seven churches and these letters, and, and it's a good discussion to have maybe in, 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 in your smaller community groups as we wind down for the summer. But I want us to see here the necessity, the necessity of having a fresh word, a fresh word. God, God's messengers are to give the gospel reminders to, to, the, to the hearers' souls, and, and we're to tell the old, old story. That's come with a new message. We're not to, we, we come with the old, old story of Jesus and his love, as that song says, but we do it hopefully in fresh ways that draw us to him and then draw us to, to respond by loving one another. What is the gospel? What is the message? What is the old, old story? It's that Jesus has come to us, and by confessing our sin and believing in him and believing in his shed blood that we are made new creatures, we are born again, born from above, born by the Holy Spirit, that we are invaded by the Spirit, and we are instantly fit for heaven because of what he's done for us. That's the great news, and we need to be reminded of that. Every week, in fact, every day, we need to be reminded of the truth. We need to speak the gospel to ourselves each day. See, because there's so many folk who, who, who look at life, and they may mouth the gospel, but when you really look at their life, they're more committed to kind of the, the power of positive thinking. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where they just want to gird up their, 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 their hearts and, and just be positive and, and, and just hope. They're... they're, they're, they're feeling is that all will be well. I can do it through discipline, through education, through wise decisions, that I can be an overcomer. And so can you, because you're okay. I'm okay and you're okay. It's the name of a book years ago. I'm okay, you're okay. That's not the gospel. <laughs> the gospel is not that I'm okay and you're okay. The gospel is that I'm not okay and that you're not okay, but that Jesus is more than okay. <laughs> That's the gospel. And because Jesus is okay, if you're in Jesus, you're okay. That's the gospel. And that's what we need to remind ourselves over and over and over again. We need a fresh word from the Lord. And, and each day as we look at his word or each week as we hear the word of God proclaimed, we need to remind ourselves, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm worse than I thought I was. But I, in Jesus Christ, I'm fit fully for heaven. We need a fresh word from the Lord. And so John has that fresh word from God. He sends messengers to bring that word to them. Without that word, we would, we would fade into usefulness, and we would despair every day. Preach the gospel to yourself. The second thing, God comes with a fresh vision of his son. Look at verses 12, 18. It's a fresh vision of his son. It gives it to John, this vision of the son of man. This symbolic depiction of him, it brings confidence. It brings light into darkness. Jesus is victorious. The Son of Man is victorious over all his and over all our enemies. 
John turns and, and, and he, he sees the voice and he sees the seven lampstands in verse 12. And, and, and in the midst of the lampstands, he recognizes the Son of Man. And again, we, we, we heard earlier in the service, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 and Daniel 10, there's these incredible depictions of, 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 of this creature, the Son of Man, the, the Ancient of Days, and, and the Son of Man. And then in chapter 10, there's one who's, who comes as the angel of the Lord, but, who, who, but it looked very similar to this creature here, to this, this one here. John sees... A description, he gives a description of this son of man. It's a sevenfold description. There's a long robe, verse 13, with a golden sash. Uniform, this is a uniform worn by an Old Testament priest or a judge. A long sash. Many believe it's more of a judge than a priest depicted here, but there's, that's, that's optional. There's, there's a white, snow like, woolly hair, verse 14. That points to his experience, his wisdom. He's the ancient of days. He's the old, he's, he's, he's eternal. He has eternal wisdom. He's, no, he's not some youngster who's around the corner. He's the, he's the eternal one. Eyes like flame of fire, verse 14. Penetrating his omniscience, he knows. Each of the seven churches, by the way, we're going to see, Jesus says, I know. I know your works. I know you. I know your hearts. He knows. Think about it. Ponder, meditate on that. Jesus knows us. And yet he loves us. Sit on that for a while. He says, I know. I have the penetrating eyes. His feet, like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His feet are solid. They're stable. They're strong. He can't be moved, he can't be crushed. His feet are so strong, they crush his foes. They crush his enemies. His, in his right hand are seven stars, verse 16. The, right, the hand of protection, the right hand, the hand of, of, of power. Speaks of control, his authority over the churches and its leaders. In his mouth is a two-edged sword. Interesting, the, 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 you see that phrase in other parts of, of, of the New Testament. The, the, there's a two-edged sword that was kind of like a little dagger, a little small sword. That's not the word that's used here. It's a very long battle sword that's used here. It, it, it speaks not just of, of the ability to cut and slice in a small way, but, but incredible, huge, final judgment. His words speak final, final judgment, final decisions. In his mouth, he speaks words of judgment. His face, like sun, in full strength. Sun, light, holiness, glorious, beautiful. Fearful, you can't look at the sun. A picture, a sevenfold depiction of this Son of Man, John delivers for us. So, so John writes what God told him to write. And we have it in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we have two, we have two chapters, chapters uh, uh, two and three, of, that are letters to seven churches. And the rest of the book is simply apocalyptic images. <laughs> they're, they're word pictures. They're graphic descriptions as he paints pictures of what he saw, of what God showed him in this vision. They're, they're, they're given to, 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 not to reach our, our minds, but to reach our hearts, to arouse certain impressions as we use our imaginations, as we, as we are exposed to them. It's a different, Revelation is a different kind of a book. If you've read it already, you understand that. It's not like a letter. 
It's not like a gospel. It's a different kind of a book. A few weeks ago, we went to see the movie Get Out. Surprisingly, I loved it. I say surprisingly because I don't like horror movies usually. That's not my genre of choice. Uh, But I heard it was really not a horror movie, and that's true. It was a suspense movie, and it addressed some of the very important and very real cross-cultural relational dynamics that continue to exist in a supposedly post-racial American society. It reached its audience in a different genre. That's what Revelation seeks to do. It's a different type of of book, different type of literature. Now, some of you love sci-fi, and you love comics, and you love that genre. You have imaginations to just take you there. Some of you are like me, more concrete. I don't know. Takes all kinds, right? Book of Revelation, if you're the one who has a great imagination and you love sci-fi, you love images and pictures, this book's for you. Read it. Enjoy it. Get the impressions that God wants you to get from it. And even if you're like me and you're not, read it anyway. You read it too. Try, 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 look, look at, and look for the basic message. It's, it's about images that are given through the many pictures, and, 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 and believers can have the ultimate assurance that in the end, when all is said and done, the Lord Jesus will win and Satan will lose. Look for that in the book as the book progresses. Now, sadly, many refuse to read Revelation and study it because so many get caught up in the, the minutia, the details. They think it's about charts and timelines, and many people who are Bible teachers like myself, we like that. We want to try to figure all that out. But no, the book is really, it's written that we might see and feel the great cosmic battle that's going on between Jesus and Satan, his enemy. You you see, see, they both have earthly soldiers who are doing battle every single day. And even within our hearts, that battle is going on. And this book is, is, is encouraging us to stay in that battle to keep fighting the battle, to fight the good fight. Because Jesus is the winner. Jesus will win. And therefore, we who are faithful to Jesus, we are winners. We will win. We are victorious. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, as Paul says. Even when we don't think it's true or don't feel it's true, it's still true. And we need that constant reminder from the Word of God. The first and most important image of this book is the one we've just looked at, this picture of the Son of Man, the Son of Glory, the the, the sevenfold depiction that John gives us, relates to us, right here in the front of the book. There are other uh, ones that we won't cover in the the series. I'm going to just give you a a preview as you you read the book to look for these three things, uh, these three other images. One is the image... Uh, 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 of a dragon. It, it's, it points to spiritual deception. Craig mentioned this last time. Um, it, the dragon is Satan himself seeking to destroy the Son of God. Uh, the, the, the second is, is a beast. This points to political persecution. The, the beast, who, like any good monster, is to be feared, comes out of the sea, desires to take over, to destroy. He represents the power of the state. Satan uses the state to get at God's people. 
The third entity that's depicted is a beautiful, great harlot of Babylon. She's beautiful. She's a temptress. She speaks of, of personal and moral temptations, which also bring down God's church, bring down God's people. She represents the selfish temptations of greed and immorality, which Satan uses to draw God's people away from God. Look for those three enemies in chapters 2 and 3. You'll see them there. John starts, though, with this first and the most important image, this image of the Son of Man. And after describing it, he describes his reaction. He says in verse 17 and 18, I, he's, I, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his hand on me. Reminds us of the Old Testament figures who approached God, who saw God and, and were flattened to the ground. We saw several weeks ago from Brother Reuben as he, he, he lifted up Isaiah chapter 6. But think of Ezekiel. Think of Daniel. Think of, of, of Old Testament creatures, uh, figures who come before the Lord or the angel of the Lord. They can't look and they're prostrate before him because holiness is before them. And yet, what are the first words that we see here from this one? Fear not. Fear not. Seems to always be a response to those who see the Lord because the natural, normal reaction is fear. But the awesomeness and the holiness and the almightiness of our God. But fear not. And then Jesus says, why? Because I'm the first and the last. Pointing back to Isaiah, chapter 40 to 66, that second half of Isaiah. The first and last, that's deity, he's God. I'm the living one, the one who's alive. I'm the resurrected one. The, the first human to be uh, firstborn from the dead. I, with, with the keys of David, keys, keys speak of authority and access. Jesus, authority, through him we have access. John's experience of Jesus. What, what would it be like if you were to approach Jesus? If, if, if you were to see Jesus, if you were to approach Jesus, what would it be like when you approach him? There's that song, I can only imagine. Use your imagination. In the Old Testament, people did approach Jesus. And we, have, we have the record of what happened when they approached Jesus. And no, I noticed that, that no, no one ever, when they approached Jesus, approached the, the throne of the living God, the Father, they, they, they never put their arms around him and say, you're my buddy. It's great, it's great to be with you. That never happens. Now, it is true that in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man, John, our author, leaned on his breast. The, the glory of Jesus, the glory of God was, was veiled in a sense, and, they, he was a, he, and he showed us this part of God that's quite approachable. But in the Old Testament, and in, even the New Testament, when that glory is... It, that glory is taken, the, the veil is taken off, people fall on their face in fear. Now, I, th I think if and when you see him, you're not going to take the initiative and run towards him. He's going to run towards you. See, that's what we have here. He, he's going to take, he's going to reach out and touch you. That's where God is. That's where God is. Fear not. Peace be with you. 
We need, folks, a fresh view of Jesus, a fresh view of Jesus. And we get it from reading his word, from hearing his word, from listening to it as it's preached, from meditating on his word, by prayerfully talking to him and thinking about what we're praying about. He is the first and the last. He knows your heart. He knows all. He sees through you, and yet he loves you. He is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Evil men put him on a cross, and he seemed to be like a, a victim. In one sense, he was like a lamb. He laid upon the priestly altar and was slain in a bloody mess. And he's there as our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice, our mercy seat, our paying the penalty of our sins. But he's more than that. He's the victorious Lion of Judah. Not on an altar, on a throne. And that's the picture of Jesus that John wants the persecuted church to understand right now. That the forces of evil, which seem like they're going to dominate and win, will not win and will not dominate. Because the one whom they worship, the one who died for them, is a conqueror, even over the greatest enemies that, the, that they face. And that is true for us. A fresh vision of the Son of God is what troubled people need. And brothers, this is, we're troubled, and we need that vision. The last thing in the passage as we move on is that God comes with a fresh understanding of the calling of God for his people. Where do I see that? Verses 19 and 20. John is given uh, the instructions to write, and so he writes. Write, therefore, the things you've seen, those that are, those that are to take place after this. So he's given instructions to write for the church, and he does that. Those things that are, and things that are to take place after this, after this. Um, verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars. Here's some symbols here in verse 20. By the way, seven is the number of complete lists. There's a lot of sevens in the book of Revelation. Over 50 times in the book of Revelation, you have the number seven. Over 50 times. Um, it's, a, it's a word of completeness. completeness. Um, seven lampstands. The Old Testament, there was a lampstand with candles. There was a the, 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 the candelabra. There was, a, there was that kind of a lampstand. And then the next slide. Then there was a this kind of a... A candelabra where the, the lamp was, was kind of in the middle. The light was in the middle and the other lights were around it. And some think that that's what's going on. I think there's a different kind of thing. This next slide. I think what we have here is seven candelabras. And in the center of, that, of those candles is the Son of Man. Now, disclaimer. We don't believe in images of Jesus. Why not? Because we tend, cultures tend to depict Jesus in their own image. That's why. And so the church throughout has said, don't, don't, don't draw pictures of Jesus. That's not a picture of Jesus. That's sort of a, you see the face is blind. You can't, you can't see a face. You can't see, but, but, but I want you to get the sense that he's in the middle and these seven candles, lampstands are around him. That seems to be the kind of thing that John saw and that John is describing for us in this passage. He's in the middle of these seven candelabras. Uh, and then he says there's seven stars. Now, again, stars. When we hear the word stars, we think of, of, of the pop culture definition of that word. You know, people who are heroes, people who are famous or infamous, but people who are known. Don't think of that. Stars. 
Think of the nighttime sky. Think of the heavenly bodies that you see out there during the evenings. Stars shine somewhat dimly in the sky. They're not as bright as the sun in the day. They're dim. The stars are not as bright as the Son of God, Jesus. These stars are, in their own way, representatives of Jesus to a dark world. I believe these, these, the stars are human leaders, human pastors, human elders, leaders of these local congregations. They're the special assurance that leaders, these stars, need that, that he is holding us in his hand. Then there's seven stars, seven angels. Again, I believe the angels, the word angelos is translated angel for heavenly beings or messenger. It can be used for human individuals. Commentators differ, but I believe that this, again, is human messengers, not angelic or, or spiritual messengers. I believe that the messengers here, the angels, are the ones who deliver the book to the, the different churches, the seven churches from Patmos. These are the couriers of the messengers to the churches. But, but more than all that is, I think we need to see that something about, about stars and lampstands. This is the church's calling. The world is dark. The church is called to be light, to be a lampstand, to be like stars in the nighttime sky. We're to be in the world, but distinct from the world. And this is the tension that we face in an unbelieving world. The world needs Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus in us. So Paul in Philippians can say, do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Philippians 2, 14 and 16. The, the, the simplicity of the attitude which we bring to life, of not grumbling and not complaining, not being disputed, uh, not, not being troublemakers, but, uh, but to live quiet and peaceful lives, as it says in the New Testament, that shines light in a dark world that isn't like that. That's our calling as God's people. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine that men may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They may see your good works and glorify you. No, glorify your Father in heaven because he's the one who's doing the works through you. That's the point. Because he is bright as the sun and, and we're just stars. I like that little song, the little kitty song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's all we got. All we are is a little light. Got to let it shine. You ever really look at a full moon at night? Lights up the sky if it's a real dark sky. The, the, the moon can, can light it up, a full moon. And, and, but the moon itself has no light. But it can be even brighter than the stars, the other stars that you see out there. What, what we're seeing is merely a reflection of the light. The reflection of that one huge star, 93,000 miles away from us, the sun, which you can't see at night, but you can see its reflection in the moon. It's hidden from us. That is our calling, to be like the moon, reflecting the, the sun. We reflect, we have no light in ourselves. We reflect the light of the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ. 
in the dark world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what am I saying? God, God comes to these first century saints through John and gives them the same thing that he wants to give us each week, a, a, a fresh and encouraging word from a messenger, a, a fresh vision of God's Son, and a fresh understanding of the high calling that we have to be lights in a dark world. Dwight Edwards has given a, a great illustration. I'm going to read it as we come to an end. Imagine with me for a moment that we're at a zoo. As we're looking at the animals, you reach down and pet the head of a small lamb. As you do, the lamb lifts his head and licks your hand. And you think, that's nice, but move on to the other animals. Suddenly, someone yells, look out! And you turn around to see what the commotion is about. It's too late. Standing right in front of you is the biggest, fiercest lion you have ever seen. He's just escaped his cage, and you are his lunch if he chooses. There is no way to escape. Slowly, he moves towards you, opening his jaws wider and wider. Then he gets right up to you. He reaches out and licks your hand and stands peacefully at your side. You breathe a huge sigh of relief. Let me ask you a question. Which lick would mean more to you? The lick of the lion or the lick of the lamb? Obviously, it would be the, the lion. Why? Because the lion could crush you in his jaws just as easily as lick your hand. But the lamb doesn't have that option. The primary reason people are not astonished and exuberant at the Lamb of God's forgiveness of their sins is that they have no little or no sense of, of the lion's raging fury against their sins. Until we have trembled on death row, we will not dance at the granting of our pardon. Amen. I sang a song years ago, and I'll close with the lyrics of this song. After this, there will be glory after this. There will be victory after this. God will turn around. He will bring you out. There will be glory after this. There will be glory There'll be victory. God will move for you. Give him the praise he's due because there will be glory after this. God specializes in things impossible. He loves to move when all hope is lost just so he can show himself strong on your behalf. So don't give up. He'll come through for you. There will be glory. There'll be victory. There'll be praise. There'll be joy. There'll be a testimony. There will be glory after this. We need the encouragement that the problems we face in this world, some, most of us face first world problems, others face bigger problems. Doesn't matter if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. After this comes joy unspeakable, full of glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you for this vision of Jesus that reminds us that through all the, 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 the hassles of life, if we're in you, we're safe, and we have a great future in your presence where there is fullness of joy, 
in life forever. Lord, I pray that we would rest in those promises and, and serve you in light of those promises and that, that we would overcome the things we face in our lives because of your promises to us. Seal this word. Lord, I pray for anyone who, who, who needs to, the encouragement of your word today, who needs to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would make uh, the step of faith to trust him with their hearts. In Jesus' name we would pray. Amen. Let's close with uh, the third verse of that song we sang, Before the Throne of God Above. <laughs>